0: Chapter Twenty-Eight of the Arabian Nights Entertainments. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Arabian Nights Entertainments by Andrew Lang. Chapter Twenty-Eight: The Adventures of Prince Camaralzaman and the Princess Badoura, Part Three. Let us now see what had become during this time of the Princess Badoura. On first waking, she was much surprised not to find the prince near her. She called her women and asked if they knew where he was, and whilst they were telling her that they had seen him enter the tent, but had not noticed his leaving it, she took up her belt and perceived that the little pouch was open and the talisman gone. She at once concluded that her husband had taken it and would shortly bring it back. She waited for him till evening rather impatiently, and wondering what could have kept him from her so long. When night came without him, she felt in despair, and abused the talisman and its maker roundly. In spite of her grief and anxiety, however, she did not lose her presence of mind, but decided on a courageous, though very unusual, step. Only the princess and her women knew of Calmarazamond's disappearance, for the rest of the party were sleeping or resting in their tents. Fearing some treason, should the truth be known, she ordered her women not to say a word which would give rise to any suspicion, and proceeded to change her dress for one of her husbands, to whom, as has already been said, she bore a strong likeness. In this disguise she looked so like the prince, that when she gave orders next morning to break up the camp and continue the journey, no one suspected the change. She made one of her women enter her litter, whilst she herself mounted on horseback, and the march began. After a protracted journey by land and sea, the princess, still under the name and disguise of Prince Camaralzaman, arrived at the capital of the Ebony Island, whose king was named Armanos. No sooner did the king hear that the ship which was just in port had on board the son of his old friend and ally, than he hurried to meet the supposed prince, and had him and his retinue brought to the palace, where they were lodged and entertained sumptuously after three days finding that his guest to whom he had taken a great fancy talked of continuing his journey king armanos said to him prince i am now an old man and unfortunately i have no son to whom to leave my kingdom it has pleased heaven to give me only one daughter who possesses such great beauty and charm that I could only give her to a prince as highly born and as accomplished as yourself. Instead, therefore, of returning to your own country, take my daughter and my crown and stay with us. I shall feel that I have a worthy successor, and shall cheerfully retire from the fatigues of government. The king's offer was naturally rather embarrassing to the princess Badoura. She felt that it was equally impossible to confess that she had deceived him or to refuse the marriage on which he had set his heart, a refusal which might turn all his kindness to hatred and persecution. All things considered, she decided to accept, and after a few moments' silence said with a blush, which the king attributed to modesty, "'Sire, I feel so great an obligation for the good opinion your majesty has expressed for my person and of the honor you do me, that, though I am quite unworthy of it, I dare not refuse.' But, sire, I can only accept such an alliance if you give me your promise to assist me with your counsels. The marriage being thus arranged, the ceremony was fixed for the following day, and the princess employed the intervening time in informing the officers of her suite of what had happened, assuring them that the princess Badoura had given her full consent to the marriage. She also told her women and bade them keep her secret well. King Armanos, delighted with the success of his plans, lost no time in assembling his court and council, to whom he presented his successor, and placing his future son-in-law on the throne, made everyone do homage and take oaths of allegiance to the new king. At night the whole town was filled with rejoicings, and with much pomp the princess Hyatelfinos, this was the name of the king's daughter, was conducted to the palace of the princess Bedura. Now Bedura had thought much of the difficulties of her first interview with King Armanos's daughter, and she felt the only thing to do was at once to take her into her confidence. Accordingly, as soon as they were alone, she took Hyatelfinos by the hand and said, "'Princess, I have a secret to tell you, and must throw myself on your mercy. I am not Prince Camaralzaman, but a princess like yourself and his wife, and I beg you to listen to my story.' then I am sure you will forgive my imposture in consideration of my sufferings. She then related her whole history, and at its close Hyatelphanos embraced her warmly and assured her of her entire sympathy and affection. The two princesses now planned out their future action, and agreed to combine to keep up the deception and to let Badura continue to play a man's part until such time as there might be news of the real Camaralzaman. Whilst these things were passing in the ebony island, Prince Camaralzaman continued to find shelter in the gardener's cottage in the town of the idolaters. Early one morning the gardener said to the prince, "'Today is a public holiday, and the people of the town not only do not work themselves, but forbid others to do so. You had better, therefore, take a good rest, whilst I go to see some friends, and as the time is near for the arrival of the ship of which I told you,' I will make inquiries about it, and try to bespeak a passage for you. He then put on his best clothes and went out, leaving the prince, who strolled into the garden and was soon lost in thoughts of his dear wife and their sad separation. As he walked up and down, he was suddenly disturbed in his reverie by the noise two large birds were making in a tree. Kalmaralzaman stood still and looked up, and saw that the birds were fighting so savagely with beaks and claws, that before long one fell dead to the ground whilst the conqueror spread his wings and flew away almost immediately two other larger birds who had been watching the duel flew up and alighted one at the head and the other at the feet of the dead bird they stood there some time sadly shaking their heads and then dug up a grave with their own claws in which they buried him as soon as they had filled in the grave the two flew off and ere long returned bringing with them the murderer, whom they held, one by a wing and the other by a leg, with their beaks, screaming and struggling with rage and terror. But they held tight, and having brought him to his victim's grave, they proceeded to kill him, after which they tore open his body, scattered the inside, and once more flew away. The prince, who had watched the whole scene with much interest, now drew near the spot where it happened, and glancing at the dead bird, he noticed something red lying near, which had evidently fallen out of its inside. He picked it up, and what was his surprise when he recognized the Princess Bedura's talisman, which had been the cause of many misfortunes? It would be impossible to describe his joy. He kissed the talisman repeatedly, wrapped it up, and carefully tied it round his arm. For the first time since his separation from the Princess, he had a good night, and next morning he was up at daybreak and went cheerfully to ask what work he should do the gardener told him to cut down an old fruit tree which had quite died away and camaralzaman took an axe and fell to vigorously as he was hacking at one of the roots the axe struck on something hard on pushing away the earth he discovered a large slab of bronze under which was disclosed a staircase with ten steps he went down them and found himself in a roomy kind of cave in which stood fifty large bronze jars each with a cover on it the prince uncovered one after another and found them all filled with gold dust delighted with his discovery he left the cave replaced the slab and having finished cutting down the tree waited for the gardener's return the gardener had heard the night before that the ship about which he was inquiring would start ere long But the exact date not being yet known, he had been told to return next day for further information. He had gone therefore to inquire and came back with good news beaming in his face. My son said he, rejoice and hold yourself ready to start in three days time. The ship is to set sail, and I have arranged all about your passage with the captain. You could not bring me better news, replied Camaralzaman and in return I have something pleasant to tell you. Follow me, and see the good fortune which has befallen you. He then led the gardener to the cave, and having shown him the treasure stored up there, said how happy it made him that heaven should in this way reward his kind host's many virtues, and compensate him for the privations of many years. What do you mean? asked the gardener. Do you imagine I should appropriate this treasure? It is yours, and I have no right whatever to it. For the last eighty years I have dug up the ground here without discovering anything. It is clear that these riches are intended for you, and they are much more needed by a prince like yourself than by an old man like me, who am near my end and require nothing. This treasure comes just at the right time, when you are about to return to your own country, where you will make good use of it but the prince would not hear of this suggestion, and finally, after much discussion, they agreed to divide the gold. When this was done, the gardener said, "'My son, the great thing now is to arrange how you can best carry off this treasure as secretly as possible, for fear of losing it. There are no olives in the ebony island, and those imported from here fetch a high price. As you know, I have a good stock of the olives which grew in this garden.' Now you must take fifty jars, fill each half full of gold dust, and fill them up with the olives. We will then have them taken on board ship when you embark. The prince took this advice, and spent the rest of the day filling the fifty jars, and fearing lest the precious talisman might slip from his arm and be lost again, he took the precaution of putting it in one of the jars, on which he made a mark, so as to be able to recognize it. When night came, the jars were all ready, and the prince and his host went to bed. Whether in consequence of his great age, or of the fatigues and excitement of the previous day, I do not know, but the gardener passed a very bad night. He was worse next day, and by the morning of the third day was dangerously ill. At daybreak the ship's captain and some of his sailors knocked at the garden door, and asked for the passenger who was to embark. I am he, "'said Camaralzaman, who had opened the door. "'The gardener who took my passage is ill and cannot see you, "'but please come in and take these jars of olives and my bag, "'and I will follow as soon as I have taken leave of him.' "'The sailors did as he asked, "'and the captain before leaving charged Camaralzaman to lose no time, "'as the wind was fair, and he wished to set sail at once.' As soon as they were gone, the prince returned to the cottage to bid farewell to his old friend, and to thank him once more for all his kindness. But the old man was at his last gasp, and had barely murmured his confession of faith when he expired. Camaralzaman was obliged to stay and pay him the last offices, so having dug a grave in the garden, he wrapped the kind old man up and buried him. He then locked the door, gave up the key to the owner of the garden, and hurried to the quay only to hear that the ship had sailed long ago after waiting three hours for him it may well be believed that the prince felt in despair at this fresh misfortune which obliged him to spend another year in a strange and distasteful country moreover he had once more lost the princess badoura's talisman which he feared he might never see again there was nothing left for him but to hire the garden as the old man had done and to live on in the cottage. As he could not well cultivate the garden by himself, he engaged a lad to help him, and to secure the rest of the treasure, he put the remaining gold-dust into fifty more jars, filling them up with olives, so as to have them ready for transport. Whilst the prince was settling down to this second year of toil and privation, the ship made a rapid voyage, and arrived safely at the ebony island as the palace of the new king, or rather of the princess Bedura, overlooked the harbour, she saw the ship entering it, and asked what vessel it was coming in so gaily decked with flags, and was told that it was a ship from the island of the idolaters, which yearly brought rich merchandise. The princess, ever on the lookout for any chance of news of her beloved husband, went down to the harbour attended by some officers of the court, and arrived just as the captain was landing. She sent for him, and asked many questions as to his country, voyage, what passengers he had, and what his vessel was laden with. The captain answered all her questions, and said that his passengers consisted entirely of traders, who brought rich stuffs from various countries, fine muslins, precious stones, musk, amber, spices, drugs, olives, and many other things. As soon as he mentioned olives, the princess, who was very partial to them, exclaimed, I will take all you have on board, have them unloaded, and we will make our bargain at once, and tell the other merchants to let me see all their best wares before showing them to other people. Sire, replied the captain, I have on board fifty very large pots of olives. They belong to a merchant who was left behind, as in spite of waiting for him, he delayed so long that I was obliged to set sail without him. Never mind, said the princess, UNLOAD THEM ALL THE SAME, AND WE WILL ARRANGE THE PRICE. THE CAPTAIN ACCORDINGLY SENT HIS BOAT OFF TO THE SHIP, AND IT SOON RETURNED LADEN WITH THE FIFTY POTS OF OLIVES. THE PRINCESS ASKED WHAT THEY MIGHT BE WORTH. SIRE, REPLIED THE CAPTAIN, THE MERCHANT IS VERY POOR. YOUR MAJESTY WILL NOT OVERPAY HIM IF YOU GIVE HIM A THOUSAND PIECES OF SILVER. IN ORDER TO SATISFY HIM, AND AS HE IS SO POOR, SAID THE PRINCESS, I will order a thousand pieces of gold to be given you, which you will be sure to remit to him. So saying, she gave orders for the payment, and returned to the palace, having the jars carried before her. When evening came, the princess Bedura retired to the inner part of the palace, and going to the apartments of the princess Hyatelfinos, she had the fifty jars of olives brought to her. She opened one to let her friend taste the olives, and to taste them herself, But great was her surprise when, on pouring some into a dish, she found them all powdered with gold dust. "'What an adventure! How extraordinary!' she cried. Then she had the other jars opened, and was more and more surprised to find the olives in each jar mixed with gold dust. But when at length her talisman was discovered in one of the jars, her emotion was so great that she fainted away. The princess Hyatelfinos and her women hastened to restore her, and as soon as she recovered consciousness, she covered the precious talisman with kisses. Then dismissing the attendants, she said to her friend, You will have guessed, my dear, that it was the sight of this talisman which has moved me so deeply. This was the cause of my separation from my dear husband, and now I am convinced it will be the means of our reunion. As soon as it was light next day, Princess Bedura sent for the captain, and made further inquiries about the merchant who owned the olive jars she had bought. In reply, the captain told her all he knew of the place where the young man lived, and how, after engaging his passage, he came to be left behind. "'If that is the case,' said the princess, "'you must sail at once and go back for him. He is a debtor of mine, and must be brought here at once, or I will confiscate all your merchandise.' I shall now give orders to have all the warehouses where your cargo is placed under the royal seal, and they will only be opened when you have brought me the man I ask for. Go at once and obey my orders. The captain had no choice but to do as he was bid, so hastily provisioning his ship, he started that same evening on his return voyage. When, after a rapid passage, he gained sight of the island of idolaters, He judged it better not to enter the harbour, but casting anchor at some distance, he embarked at night in a small boat with six active sailors, and landed near Camaralzaman's cottage. The prince was not asleep, and as he lay awake moaning over all the sad events which had separated him from his wife, he thought he heard a knock at the garden door. He went to open it, and was immediately seized by the captain and sailors, who, without a word of explanation, forcibly bore him off to the boat, which took them back to the ship without loss of time. No sooner were they on board than they weighed anchor and set sail. Camaralzaman, who had kept silence till then, now asked the captain, whom he had recognized, the reason for his abduction. "'Are you not a debtor of the king of the Ebony Island?' asked the captain. "'I? Why, I never even heard of him before, and never set foot in his kingdom.' "'was the answer. "'Well, you must know better than I,' said the captain. "'You will soon see him now, and meantime be content where you are and have patience.' The return voyage was as prosperous as the former one, and though it was night when the ship entered the harbour, the captain lost no time in landing with his passenger, whom he conducted to the palace, where he begged an audience with the king.' Directly the Princess Bedura saw the prince, she recognized him in spite of his shabby clothes. She longed to throw herself on his neck, but restrained herself, feeling it was better for them both that she should play her part a little longer. She therefore desired one of her officers to take care of him and to treat him well. Next she ordered another officer to remove the seals from the warehouse, whilst she presented the captain with a costly diamond, and told him to keep the thousand pieces of gold paid for the olives, as she would arrange matters with the merchant himself. She then returned to her private apartments, where she told the princess Hyatelfinos all that had happened, as well as her plans for the future, and begged her assistance, which her friend readily promised. Next morning she ordered the prince to be taken to the bath, and clothed in a manner suitable to an emir or governor of a province. He was then introduced to the council, where his good looks and grand air drew the attention of all on him. Princess Bedura, delighted to see him looking himself once more, turned to the other emirs, saying, My lords, I introduce to you a new colleague, Calmaralzaman, whom I have known on my travels, and who, I can assure you, you will find well deserves your regard and admiration. Camar was much surprised at hearing the king, whom he never suspected of being a woman in disguise, asserting their acquaintance, for he felt sure he had never seen her before. However, he received all the praises bestowed on him with becoming modesty, and prostrating himself, said, Sire, I cannot find words in which to thank your majesty for the great honor conferred on me. I can but assure you that I will do all in my power to prove myself worthy of it. On leaving the council, the prince was conducted to a splendid house, which had been prepared for him, where he found a full establishment and well-filled stables at his orders. On entering his study, his steward presented him with a coffer filled with gold pieces for his current expenses. He felt more and more puzzled by such good fortune, and little guessed that the princess of China was the cause of it. After a few days the princess Bedura promoted Calmarazamon to the post of grand treasurer, an office which he filled with so much integrity and benevolence as to win universal esteem. He would now have thought himself the happiest of men had it not been for that separation which he never ceased to bewail. He had no clue to the mystery of his present position, for the princess, out of compliment to the old king, had taken his name, and was generally known as King Armanos the Younger, few people remembering that on her first arrival she went by another name. At length the princess felt that the time had come to put an end to her own and the prince's suspense, and having arranged all her plans with the princess Hyatelfanos, she informed Camaralzaman that she wished his advice on some important business, and, to avoid being disturbed, desired him to come to the palace that evening. The prince was punctual and was received in the private apartment. When, having ordered her attendants to withdraw, the princess took from a small box the talisman and, handing it to Camaralzaman, said, Not long ago, an astrologer gave me this talisman. As you are universally well informed, you can perhaps tell me what is its use. Camaralzaman took the talisman and, holding it to the light, cried with surprise. "'Sire, you ask me the use of this talisman. "'Alas, hitherto it has only been a source of misfortune to me, "'being the cause of my separation from the one I love best on earth. "'The story is so sad and strange that I am sure your majesty will be touched by it "'if you will permit me to tell it you.' "'I will hear it some other time,' replied the princess. "'Meanwhile, I fancy it is not quite unknown to me. "'Wait here for me. I will return shortly.' So saying, she retired to another room, where she hastily changed her masculine attire for that of a woman, and, after putting on the girdle she wore the day they parted, returned to Camaralzaman. The prince recognized her at once, and, embracing her with the utmost tenderness, cried, Ah, how can I thank the king for this delightful surprise? Do not expect ever to see the king again, said the princess, as she wiped the tears of joy from her eyes. In me you see the king. Let us sit down, and I will tell you all about it. She then gave a full account of all her adventures since their parting, and dwelt much on the charms and noble disposition of the princess Hyatelfinos, to whose friendly assistance she owed so much. When she had done, she asked to hear the prince's story, and in this manner they spent most of the night. Next morning the princess resumed her woman's clothes, and as soon as she was ready, She desired the chief eunuch to beg King Armanos to come to her apartments. When the king arrived, great was his surprise at finding a strange lady in company of the grand treasurer, who had no actual right to enter the private apartment. Seating himself, he asked for the king. "'Sire,' said the princess, "'yesterday I was the king. "'Today I am only the princess of China, and wife to the real prince Camaralzaman, "'son of King Shazaman,' and I trust that when your majesty shall have heard our story, you will not condemn the innocent deception I have been obliged to practice. The king consented to listen, and did so with marked surprise. At the close of her narrative, the princess said, Sire, as our religion allows a man to have more than one wife, I would beg your majesty to give your daughter, the princess Hyatelphanos, in marriage to Prince Camaralzaman." I gladly yield to her the precedence and title of queen, in recognition of the debt of gratitude which I owe her. King Armanos heard the princess with surprise and admiration. Then, turning to Camaralzaman, he said, My son, as your wife, the princess Bedura, whom I have hitherto looked on as my son-in-law, consents to share your hand and affections with my daughter, I have only to ask if this marriage is agreeable to you and if you will consent to accept the crown which the princess Bedura deserves to wear all her life, but which she prefers to resign for love of you. Sire, replied Camaralzaman, I can refuse your majesty nothing. Accordingly, Camaralzaman was duly proclaimed king, and as duly married with all pomp to the princess Hyatelfinos, with whose beauty, talents, and affections he had every reason to be pleased. The two queens lived in true sisterly harmony together, and after a time, each presented King Camaralzaman with a son, whose births were celebrated throughout the kingdom with the utmost rejoicing. End of chapter 28